What I want to do tonight is just reflect upon the cross, reflect upon the crucifixion of Jesus Christ for a little while from a verse in 1 Corinthians. And at the end of that, we're going to take communion. If you have your Bibles, if you'd open to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 22 to 24. 1 Corinthians 1, 22 to 24. Paul begins like this. Jews demand signs. And Greeks seek wisdom. Jews demand signs. Greeks seek wisdom. The Jew of Paul's day, the traditional Jew of today, external religion, looking for the external signs. When Jesus was here, they wanted Jesus to perform the sign that would prove his power and display his glory. They wanted to see the sensational Jews demand signs. Greeks seek wisdom. The Greek philosophers, the Greeks who prided themselves in their intellectualism and who enjoyed doing the mental calisthenics and who loved to hear and ponder and consider their own theories and listening to the sound of their own speculations. The Greeks seek wisdom. Verse 23, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. Christ crucified a stumbling block to the Jew. They want the wondrous sign, the display of power. Christ crucified? What kind of a sign is that? God on a cross? What kind of a sign? of power and glory and majesty is that. Christ crucified a stumbling block to the Jew and to the Greeks folly or foolishness. That just doesn't make any intellectual sense. God on the cross. But we preach Christ crucified. But to those who were called both Jews and Gentiles. Here's what Christ crucified is. Listen, Christ the power of God and Christ the wisdom of God. Why preach Christ crucified? Paul says we preach Christ crucified. Focus on that word for a minute, crucified. You see what it looks like with the naked eye, with the human eye, that when we preach Christ crucified, that what we are preaching is what we should be ashamed of. 
what it looks like from a human perspective is that we are boasting about what we should keep quiet. We are glorying in the great defeat. Why would we preach Christ crucified? Why would we glory in the most heinous device of human torture that humanity has ever devised, the Roman cross? Why would we do that? Why would we preach Christ crucified? Notice also Paul says that we preach Christ crucified. We preach Him. We don't whisper Christ crucified. We don't get into little huddles and quietly talk about Christ crucified because we're ashamed of the message. We preach Christ crucified. We proclaim it. We speak it out loud in the public arena. We broadcast Christ crucified. That's what we do, but the question that I want to just ask and answer tonight is why? Just take a few minutes and reflect upon that idea, that statement, we preach Christ crucified. Paul says because he's the power of God. What is in the crucifixion of Christ that is the power of God? I'm just going to give you four quick things as a partial answer to that question. And here's the first one. Only Christ crucified. Only Christ crucified. Proclaims the holiness of God. Christ crucified proclaims the holiness of God. How can a moment of absolute defeat proclaim the holiness of God? How can that moment be a moment of power that transforms it into something that is the power of salvation for everyone who believes? That is the power of God, as Paul wrote. You see, Christ crucified proclaims and promotes the holiness of God. Ladies and gentlemen, here's what I think we so desperately need today. One of the things that, one of the key things that I believe the evangelical church in America needs. We need a fresh vision of the holiness of God. That's what we need. You see, we have become comfortable and have turned God into, at times, far too often a manageable deity. And that He is not. In the words of C.S. Lewis in the Chronicles of Narnia, He is not a tame lion. But we have seen him as easygoing and lax and just comfortable instead of seeing him as a God of holiness who is a consuming fire. 
So if a sense of holiness, of God's holiness is what we need, here's the question, where are we going to get that glimpse? Where is the holiness of God going to shine bright so it burns into our souls? And what I submit to you tonight is that the greatest place for you to get a glimpse of the holiness of God is in Christ crucified. You want to strip away a low view of God and see Him in His all-consuming holy fire? You need to take a long, hard look at the cross of Jesus Christ. Because it's in the cross of Jesus Christ that we see a God who will not put up with unrighteousness, with sin. We see a God who is holy and will not fellowship with sinful man whose wrath rages out against sin that is an affront to His very nature and His very creation. It's in the cross of Christ that we see that. It's in the perfect, it's in the demand for a perfect righteous sacrifice that we see the holiness of God shine forth. You see, His demand for righteousness points to His essence of holiness. His demand for perfect righteousness points to His essence of holiness. In the cross, the righteousness of God is defended and the holiness of God is advanced. In Christ crucified. In a way that you don't see it anywhere else. You see a God who must punish sin. You see a God of perfect righteousness and justice because He is holy. You see that in the cross of Christ. See what happens when in a culture like our culture when the holiness of God is not proclaimed as it should be biblically. Here's what happens. That sin is downgraded. Sin is downgraded. It's seen as mistakes and minor errors and improper detours. An acute sense of the blackness of sin will always be lashed to an awareness of the holiness of God. Always. That's the second point that goes hand in hand with the first. You see, Christ crucified is what promotes the holiness of God and Christ crucified is what shows me the blackness of my sin. They go hand in hand. That's what I, happened to Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6 when he saw the holy God seated on the throne. He cried out, woe is me. 
for I am unclean. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of glory. It was the holiness of God that revealed the blackness of his sin. We have at times taken our focus off God's holiness and the result has been a downgrading of our sin. And the message of Good Friday is Christ crucified. Christ crucified to proclaim throughout all history God's holiness and sin's heinousness. That's what Good Friday does, rightly understood. You see, we need to see and understand what really true forgiveness is so that it's just not a cheap grace. And where do we really see what God's forgiveness truly is? Where are you going to get a picture of the truth about God's forgiveness? You've got to look to Christ crucified. Because in that picture, you see what the cost, what cost was involved in paying the penalty for sin. In the perfect, supreme, sublime sacrifice of the Holy Son, you see what forgiveness cost. And you see it nowhere else like you see it there. Cheap forgiveness always downplays sin, but a focus on Christ crucified. I mean, where else are you going to look to see that? Could you look at the Sermon on the Mount, greatest message ever preached, Matthew 5, 6, and 7? Is it there that you'll get the clearest picture of God's holiness and your sinfulness so that you can see it From God's perspective, I say, although that is the greatest sermon ever preached, you will not see it most clearly there. Will you see it in those vivid stories, the parables that Jesus told, even the parable of the prodigal son, that parable that can move you to tears each time when the son in the pig pen realizes his condition and looks toward home, turns his heart toward home, is that where you see the clearest picture of the blackness of sin? I say to you, that is not where. If you want to see sin for what it is, you've got to stand in front of the cross of Jesus Christ and him crucified. Just consider it for a moment. I'll try to bring this point, drive this point solidly and just consider that for a moment. I know we're separated 2,000 years and cultures away, but just consider it for a moment. Look upon 
Christ crucified. Would you do that in your mind's eye for a moment? Would you see the flesh hanging in ribbons from his back? Would you watch the brow that held the crown of majesty for an eternity past receive blows over and over again with sticks as he is beaten? Would you see the one who could Span the heavens in a step. Struggle and fall under the weight of the beam that he was to hang upon as he tried to drag it up the cobblestone streets. Would you look and see the spikes driven through his wrists and his feet and the cross cross lifted up and dropped in a jarring fashion down into its hole in such a way that his joints dislocated with the force. And watch him hang there in unspeakable agony, his flesh quivering, him fighting for every breath pulling himself up on dislocated joints. But that's even just a small picture of the agony. This one we cannot in any way truly really understand, and that is when he cried out in his agony, Father, why have you forsaken me? The Father whom he had had perfect, intimate relationship with for an eternity past, now separating himself from a sinful son. Not theoretically, truly guilty, accursed, hanging on the tree. Only in that picture can you see sin for what it is. Only then. So look. Look upon holy perfection marred with the vilest rags of depravity. Look upon the brow that for eternity past had wore the crowns, now wearing the crown of thorns. Look to him. Look to him to whom all heaven had bowed. Now being mocked and ridiculed. Stand there with John and his mother. And listen to him cry out in his final breath. To tell us die. It is finished. And bow his head in death. 
and then do this. Do this. Believer, do this. Rise up. And demand revenge. Rise up and demand that the traitors that hung him there be brought before the tribunal and judged and condemned and killed. Demand it. And here is what you will see. It will be your own sins that will be brought to the front. It will be your sins that will be the traitor. You see, only then in the cross of Christ can you see sin for what it is. Only then. The power of of the cross, the power of Christ crucified proclaims the holiness of God and it reveals the heinousness of sin. And then number three, Christ crucified demonstrates the greatness of grace. Christ crucified demonstrates the greatness of grace. You see, here's what Romans says. God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You want to know what the greatest picture is of the love and grace of God? It is the cross of Jesus Christ. It is Christ crucified. It should silence every question about the grace of God and the depths to which it would reach, about the love of God and the height to which it could reach. You can read in the scriptures of the covenant love of God in the Old Testament. You can read about his care and his love in the new. You can look to heaven and think about the glory that is coming and meditate on the love of God through those things. But the greatest picture of the love of God is the cross of Jesus Christ. That's why we preach Christ crucified. It's in a contemplation of the cross of Christ and Him crucified that God burns every false perception of anemic understanding of His love. You know, Jesus, think about this. Jesus left His throne of eternal glory. We've talked about this so many times. He left his throne of eternal glory 
and he married his divine nature with a human nature and he chose to make himself nothing and be made in the likeness of a servant and be found in appearance as a man. All of that glory of heaven He left for us. But think about the fact that even here on earth, as a impoverished Jew, he even gave up everything he had worldly. He didn't have much, but right up to the end, he gave everything even the last stitch of clothing he was wearing so that when he died, he had nothing. For you, he did that. He had nothing. He gave up everything. Even his last piece of human clothing so that you could wear his robes of righteousness. He gave up his divine life for a wretch like me. You see, in the Christ crucified, you see the love of God in its supreme picture. And then finally, in Christ crucified, you see how safe you are. You see how safe and secure you are if you're a follower of Christ and you see that in Christ crucified. You see, Christ crucified is a substitutionary death. It's a substitutionary atonement. Here's what that means. That the penalty that you and I were to receive, he received. He's paid your penalty. If you put your faith in Him, your penalty has been paid for all of your sin, for all time in the sacrifice of Christ. So that the Father is not going to extract punishment from you if He's already extracted it from His Son. You see, in the cross of Christ, you see how safe that you are through the substitutionary death of the Son. He who did not spare his own Son, but gave him up for us all. If the agonies of Christ secured your salvation, your forgiveness, then the resurrection, the triumphant life of Christ, married with the merits of His death, certainly is going to preserve the ones that He has saved until the end. The picture painted there in the Old Testament is of a scapegoat. 
the goat upon which the priest laid his hands and symbolically placed all of the sins of the nation on the head of the goat and sent the goat out in the wilderness. And the picture was that the sins were being sent away never to return again. Just symbolic. But that is what Jesus became for us. All of our sins were placed onto him so that the damnation for sin was received in him. What that means, ladies and gentlemen, is this. There's no damnation left for you if you're in him. It's gone. It can't be resurrected. It's done. There is none left. You see, there's a book of life, and then there's a book out of which your deeds are written that you are judged by. And if you have accepted Christ as your Savior, there are no deeds in the book of judgment for you. Temptation is satisfied because Jesus allowed himself to receive that. And it will not be asked of you again if he's already paid it for you. Therefore, it's in Christ crucified that you are safe indeed. You see, to the Jews, Christ crucified is a stumbling block to the Greeks' foolishness. But to those who believe, to those who believe, Christ crucified is the power of God, the power unto salvation. That is what we are remembering here on Good Friday. And we're going to remember that as we do what Jesus told us to do as an act of remembrance, and that is to take the Lord's Supper, to take communion. Here's the way we're going to do that tonight. All around the auditorium here, we have round tables that have the elements on them. We have two on either side in the front, two on either side. Actually, yeah, two on each side, uh, and then two in the back. So we have a total of eight. What we're going to do is we're going to sing several songs. We have a three or four song worship set here. And so you're not rushed. We're just going to spend some time in worship, and when you're ready, if you've accepted Christ as your Savior, the sacrifice that He has paid, then the communion is for you. If you're here tonight and you have not accepted Christ as your Savior, but you've heard the preaching of Christ crucified, and you want to put your faith in Christ, you can take communion for the first time tonight as a brand new child of God. The communion does not save you. Your faith in the person and the work of Christ saves you. And if you put your faith in Christ alone, then the Lord's Supper is available to you. So you, please stand. You just as we sing, I'm going to say a word of prayer here. And then we're going to begin to sing. You want to just stay where you're at for a while and reflect. You can do that. You can go and get your elements and go back to the altar. You can go back to your chair, spread out around the room. I'd encourage you, if you're here as a family or certain members of your family, do that together as a family unit. If the 
comfortable doing that. Let's let me pray. Father, we're here now just to continue a reflection, remembrance of the greatness of the Lord Jesus Christ and his sacrifice.